This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio, episode number 46, From Woman Leader to Entrepreneur. Have you ever sat through a dull corporate meeting and dreamt of opening your own business? Have you fantasized about being in charge of your own business so that things would run the way you know they should? If you're like 60% of all working women, you want to be your own boss. Today we're going to talk to someone who finally stopped dreaming and did something about it. And now she has a very successful business. Be sure to listen for a special offer at the end of the show. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life, no matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur. Join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. Have you ever dreamt of starting your own business? You're not alone. Over 60% of women who work in companies share your dream, too. And that's why you're going to love this interview. You will be inspired and encouraged by Kim Malik who quit her great career at Starbucks to launch the successful and fast-growing Salt and Straw Ice Cream Parlors. Welcome, Kim. Well, thank you. So tell us a little bit about uh, your background and how you prepared for running your own company. Uh, well, you know, it was uh, a long time coming, I won't lie. <laughs> Back in 1996, I was working for... Um, Starbucks, actually, it was a tiny company when I started. There were 30 stores in oh my the United gosh. States only. <laughs> I started there right out of college. I, uh, my whole family thought, you know, oh, Kim didn't get a very good job. Poor Kim. <laughs> she was working for this tiny little coffee company that no one's heard of. And I kept trying to tell them, you know, this will be big someday, you guys. Trust me, I really believe in this idea. Uh-huh. And um, as the company grew bigger and bigger, I obviously had a lot of wonderful opportunities due to that growth, but I always missed the days when it was much smaller. And, you know, I knew the people walking down the street who were our customers. I got to work with the local PTA on fundraisers, meet with people who were, you know, in the origin country sourcing our product, and just that intimacy of more of a community setting. And so in 1996, I told some friends that I wanted to open a ice cream shop in Portland, Oregon. (laughs) And then for, I think, about 15 years, I lived in fear of that idea. And I I went on to work at a variety of really wonderful Fortune 500 companies from um, Adidas to Yahoo. Most recently, I was working for the company that Bono started to raise money for AIDS in Africa. It was called Red. Um, But I always held on to this idea. And so when I moved back to Portland a couple of years ago, I, I decided to do the unthinkable, and I started my own business. What, what was the? Uh, how did you get the courage to do it after all those years of <laughs> thinking about it? What, what helped you to get the courage to make that leap? You know, it was an interesting story. Um, when I was in high school, my father actually went bankrupt running his own business, and so to me, it was a really scary thing to think about. And when I moved to Portland, um, you know, Portland's kind of a smaller-sized city. There aren't tons of jobs. And so as I was looking around um, uh, for work, uh, my partner had uh, 
started to learn about this long, long-term long dream I'd had. And he was the one who said, you know, what are you afraid of? And I said, well, I'm afraid of not being able to pay my rent. At the time, I had a mortgage. Um, and not being able to feed myself and my dogs. <laughs> Those are the two things that I was most afraid of. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I will – you can live at my place um, for free. I can't give you money to help you start your company, but you can, you know, room and board for one year. And I was like, oh, no, now what do I do? Someone's <laughs> removed the big barriers from starting my own company. You know, now I have to actually go out and do this. Um, you know, it's one thing to walk around thinking about something for 15 years, and it's another thing to have someone kind of call you on your fears and, and give you that push that you sometimes need to get started. Uh-huh. Well, Tell tell the audience a little bit about your ice cream stores. Um, are they successful, and what makes them different? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were pretty amazed right off of it, right off of the bat. You know, we started as a little um, cart actually, and um, within not even a month of opening, we got this really amazing phone call from a reporter at the Wall Street Journal, and she was looking to review some new ice cream companies in the United States and wanted to know if we could send her ice cream, which we didn't even know how to do at the time. So we figured it out. Uh (laughs) We mailed ice cream to New York City, and then I'm standing at our ice cream cart a few weeks later, really just learning how to run the business and make ice cream and all of those things. And she calls back and says, well, you know, um, we really loved your ice cream. We just really loved it. We want to do um, a review. But my editor wants to know if you could have national distribution. And we were like, national distribution? I can barely keep up with this little cart. <laughs> I wish you could see me right now serving ice cream with this little cart. And so um, I, I, of course, being an entrepreneur, said, of course we can have national distribution. And we, we launched an online um, shop a couple of weeks later, and, and the story ran. And you know, it was just really exciting. It sort of put us on to to a lot of different folks' radar screen. Um, from there, we were written up as Oprah's favorite ice cream and Martha Stewart's number one editor's pick, GQ magazine. On and on, we just couldn't believe it. And I think what people really respond to with our ice cream is that we strive to create local partnerships with other artisans and farmers, um, whether it's a chocolate maker or a coffee roaster or a beer brewer or a cheese maker. We just we work really hard to feature ingredients that are local to our city and maybe ingredients that you wouldn't necessarily expect to find in ice cream. And, um, you know, first and foremost, it's really tasty, but um, it has sort of that unexpected angle of discovery to it as well, just a real community-oriented idea, I guess you could call it. Now, Kim, how did you what, – what gave you that idea to partner up with uh, – local companies yeah i mean honestly it wasn't kind of our original we didn't start out to do that and i say we because my cousin joined me um very early in the in the early stages of the business to help um and he makes all of the ice cream so we are partners in all of this and i um uh, I, i guess probably one of the first flavors we wanted to do um, was a uh, like a maple baking because we just love that idea. And so we started realizing that the essence of maple really comes through in a brown ale, and Portland's so famous for its, you know, beer breweries. Mm-hmm. And so we started talking to a lot of the brewers around town, and they were so anxious to help us come up with a recipe for making beer ice cream, which turns out is really, really hard. And 
Then we wanted to add this bacon. And we called one of the top restaurants in the city, known for their charcuterie. It's called Olympic Provisions. And we didn't even have a name for our business yet. No one knew who we were. We just had this idea. And the owner of the business says, of course, I will help you come over. I'm going to, you know, we'll taste bacon, figure out how to candy it, what's going to be best for you. And between the brewers and um, this guy, Tyler, at Olympic Provisions, we suddenly realized that one plus one equals ten. So when we sit down across the table from these people and collaborate with them on a flavor, it just it's so powerful in terms of the quality that you come up with and also just that energy of the, that relationship that results. And, you know, to me it's all about those relationships and people. And, you know, that's what I really loved in the early days at Starbucks and what I missed was that sense of community. And so I think collaborating on these flavors is really how we bring that idea of community to life. So was there something in the Starbucks background that got you more involved in uh, this unique way of thinking about collaboration and community? Yeah, you know, it's funny, um, you know, kind of growing up in the Fortune 500 world of marketing, you would never really, I guess, um, co-brand, uh, sort of against the rules. <laughs> but I think um, what we, what I did learn at Starbucks from those early days, you know, it was a startup. I can remember Howard Schultz's wife was working at least one, if not two, jobs to try to help the company make payroll. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was like really a startup and struggling. And so when we would go and open new stores and new cities, we didn't have big marketing budgets to do advertising and things like that. And instead, we would literally work with local community groups throughout the city and get to know them, do coffee tastings, help raise um, money for them through our store openings. And I loved that. I loved those relationships. And uh, I think that just really sparked in me, you know, early in my career, the idea that you can do more, you know, by helping other people and working with other people, your your reach just becomes so much more than it would be on your own. Wow. That's that's really incredible. And um, even your stories are, the decor is unusual. Can you talk about yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, well, it was just this idea, you know, we really wanted to create community gathering places. That's that's why I started the company. And so we wanted it to be an experience when you walk into our stores that it would feel like it's been there forever. You know, it just has a real sense of place. And so we designed them after sort of the look and feel of an old mercantile store where you might literally run into the farmer who's bringing the blueberries in for the day or the guy who, you know, milled the the fabric that's for sale at a mercantile store. It was just alive with the producers coming in all day long, and we wanted it to feel that, that way as well. So we created um, stores that, you know, used a lot of recycled materials and woods and just had a lot of um, heritage and story to, to the different elements that we built into our stores. So that was kind of the the idea that we were going after. And, and it's definitely welcoming and inviting to families and anyone who might want to come in, but we designed our stores so they weren't really kid-oriented. Um, we wanted it to be just a little bit more sort of neutral territory where you might come in on a date or you might come in just to treat yourself for the night or you might come in with your family, but it just kind of feels a little bit more like a, an upscale um, experience for you know that a grown-up would enjoy as well. Yeah, so you 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 have a, you put a lot of thought into the kind of experience you wanted people to have. 
and the kind of uh, connection you want to have with community and having uh, local partnerships and co-branding with people. Um, did you do a lot of that before you actually started the business, or was this kind of as, as you're unfolding this, did these ideas start coming to you? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of both. Um, with my background, you know, running kind of large international business units, I am definitely a planner. And so I had a pretty rock-solid business plan before I started the business. It wasn't something that I worked on for years and years and years. I mean, I think I worked on it for a little less than a year, honestly. And I, and I think a really good business plan is shorter is better. Um mm-hmm. You, know, you want to capture all the details that are important, um, but don't spend. I mean, you can just get stuck in the planning stages forever if you if you let that happen. And so for me, it was all about um, you know getting it to a point where I really thought I had enough to um, guide me. Um, and then a lot of the details would unfold as as I went along. Um, it was funny because when I was starting my business. There were not a lot of um, bank financing available, and so I was hoping to get bank financing, and I went out and met with a lot of bankers, and although I didn't end up scoring a loan from the bank, they gave me tons and tons and tons of feedback about my business plan, and it was so valuable. You know, I just felt like it was rock solid by the time I started my business, and it, it proved to be very real in terms of the numbers that I was planning to hit and the margins that I wanted to hit, and um, and all of that is so important when you're starting your business because um, you really need to be dealing with reality and knowing what you're walking into, especially from a financial perspective. It makes sense. And, and I've I've interviewed a lot of people who have, didn't even have a business plan. <laughs> yeah. Very different. Now, what challenges did you face that you didn't expect? Yeah, I I would have to say that uh, you know everybody. We now have a staff of over 50 people. We have two stores. Um, we opened our first store a little more than a year ago in August, and then we opened our second store um, just this last summer. Um, and we actually signed a lease to open our third store here in Portland um, this upcoming summer. So kind of one a summer, <laughs> which is fast. You know, it's growing pretty fast. And we weren't expecting, you know, that wasn't in the business plan. Uh-huh. Um, it's all kind of been organic as opportunities have come up. Um, but I'd say the biggest challenge associated that with that has really been uh, our staffing and dealing with, you know, this really large group of people who are now, you know, intimately <laughs> part of my business and intertwined in the success of the business. And um, so one thing that uh, I've really taken a step back to make sure we have in line right now is all of our operations and all of our training and I'd say that was probably uh, our weakest point as we headed into you know opening this business and getting things started and um, you know pretty we're really proud we're about to launch health insurance for all of our employees Fantastic. and pretty, well, we're really excited we didn't think we could ever do that and but I, I think just you know putting things like that in place to create loyalty and rewards for the the team that is working so hard to actually bring this dream to life, and then getting the right things in place so that they have training and support and operations manuals and job descriptions and all of that um, is some catch-up work that we're having to do right now, and we're just seeing it pay back in spades. 
Have you had mentors that have helped you with these aspects that you haven't known, you didn't know how to deal with before? Yeah, you know, speaking about women, Uh (laughs) I I grew up in the, I was going to say I grew up in the corporate world, I started a couple of times during this interview, and I I have had so many wonderful women as um, managers and mentors throughout my career, and a lot of them really early in my career. And so I tap into that network all the time. Um, if there's a woman who used to run international operations from Star- for Starbucks, and now she lives in here in Portland, and she's the president of New Seasons Market, which is our market, you know, local grocery store chain here. And she actually takes time on a regular basis to come in and help me make sure my operations are in line and review my business, you know, kind of the financials and what we're planning to do and give me feedback about strategy. Um, and I could do about three or four other people like her throughout the United States who, you know, will drop everything and take my call when I need some advice or need to be told that it's okay. <laughs> we'll recover from this. Keep going. Um, all of the different sort of pep talks that you might need. Um, but I, I tap into that net, network quite a lot and keep them keep them close at hand. You know, I think it, that's wonderful. And I, I think it's really, I think it's important for people to know that nobody's doing it all by themselves, <clears throat> that we, we all have help when we're doing these things, or should have. And, yeah, I, mean, I would say, you know, um, I, I always, tell people, um, you know, when they are when they are getting ready to start their business, one of the most important things that you can do is ask for help. Ask for help, ask for a lot of help. <laughs> and as women, you know, I mean I don't I'm not always comfortable doing that and so I had to really get over that, you know, whether it's, you know, reviewing your plans or connecting you with the right contacts or um physically coming and helping doing something at the shop. Um uh, asking for help is a really important skill to learn as an entrepreneur. It, it really, it really is a, important for you. No matter what you do in life, it's important to ask for help mm-hmm. and not do things alone. <clears throat> so, how successful is your business now? You've got two stores. You're opening up a third. How well are you doing? It's going really well. I mean, I, I think, you know, adding health insurance, we're actually rolling it out on Valentine's Day, which is kind of cool. Oh, very um, cool. But we, <laughs> but we um, you know, we've gotten to a point now, a year and a half in, where we, you know, we have some money in the bank, and um, we have some, you know, new expansion plans underway, um, and we've kind of, yeah, I wouldn't say we've stabilized because being so new, you know, I always feel like you never know when the other shoes going to drop or what's going to happen. Um, but even throughout the winter months, which, you know, in Portland is really rainy and cold, um, we've had a steady stream of customers and, um, you know, a lot of interest in the business. So I, I would have to say we've been successful beyond my wildest dreams, and I feel really grateful for it. Wow. Um, you mentioned you've even had companies that have wanted to buy your business. Yeah, <laughs> we've had we've had some um, investors come forth, uh, which has been kind of funny because I'm like, oh man, if you could just see what's happening behind, <laughs> you know, you're scrambling to keep things afloat. But um, 
uh, we've had we've had a few kind of really great um, folks come come forth, you know, interested. And I always, you know, I'll take every meeting that comes my way because I think you can always learn a lot from people. Uh-huh. Um, and when when those calls have come in, I've spent a lot of time talking to them about, you know, like what what should we be focusing on right now as a small business, and you know, what what are the what what are you looking for when you head into these conversations um, so that we can get our house in order and, you know, make sure you just don't know what you don't know. So I just, I take those calls as learning opportunities. And, and it also sounds like even though you, you have plans to keep growing and stay with this business, that you also are paying attention to an exit strategy, um, that point in yeah. time when you might want to sell. It's so funny because uh, to be perfectly honest, that didn't cross my mind when I started the business. It couldn't have been further. And they say that that's a bad thing. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you, should have a, you should always have an extra strategy in, in mind. And, and I didn't. You know, I was just full on head into getting this started. And now, you know, a year and a half later, um, uh, just some, some of the advisors and people I've talked to have uh, started to help me understand what those different options are, and and at least as we're expanding and thinking about the future, you know, we can be thoughtful about what one step might lead to another versus a different path. So I haven't really figured that out yet, you know, what an exit strategy is, um, but I definitely am learning about the different options and how you know the decisions we're making now might affect you know those options in the future, which is good to know makes a lot of sense. Do you have a financial advisor that's helping you decide how much to reinvest in the company? Yeah, one of my, I'd say my two best advisors right now, um, one is my uh, my sort of uh, public relations strategist. She saves me every day because I have a million crazy ideas and she's tells me not to do half of them and <laughs> <laughs> supports the other half, and uh-huh. that works well. Mm-hmm. And then the other is my um, financial um, advisor, and and I'd say the third is, is this great new attorney that I've gotten. And from a business perspective, my financial advisor, you know, he runs a profit and loss statement for me every month that I sit down and review with him, and then I review that with our management team <clears throat> so that we always know you know, how we're performing versus our goals, what they can do at each of the stores to affect the profit and loss statement so they know where they're, you know, what control they have and what impact they have, and I know what control I have, and we can kind of plan for the future together. Um, And he also helps me create, you know, a quarterly budget so we know how much money to spend, and, and, um, and, and it's wonderful. I mean, I just feel like, you know, I'm not driving down a dark street with no lights. I, I know where I'm going and where the turns are coming up ahead of me, and I really appreciate that. That's really neat. So I, I want to ask you one last question, then I'd like you to stay on the, the line after we finish this. Um, for women listening, what do you think is the best preparation for starting your own businesses? Mm, I think the best preparation is to really understand who is going to be interested in this idea and what the what the market size is. I mean, I think so often we head into something blindly, you know, with an idea or something we can do. <laughs> and that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a good business idea. So, you know, understanding who is the market, who's going to be buying this, 
and how many of them there are out there, what they'll pay for what your idea is. I mean, that all kind of goes into that business plan I was discussing earlier. And I by no means think that someone should spend, you know, a year or two writing a business plan. I mean, you can come up with something fairly quickly. But I think being thoughtful about, you know, what the future holds um, for me was really, really valuable. I mean, it kind of, it basically it freed me up to focus on all the creativity of the business and the product and the stores and the experience because, you know, we had a roadmap for the business already in place. All right. So have, have you roadmapped? Do your research before you start your business? I think so. It helped me a lot. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview, Kim. Really well, appreciate it. Well, I'm thrilled it. to be invited. Thank you. You're welcome. To get free sample chapters and videos from my new program, The Winning Career, go to www.womensleadershipsuccess.com and sign up on the form that appears on the screen after a moment. And thanks for listening. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brom, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.